five, four, three, two, one. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. See if they could work together when we needed them to. To fight the battles that we never could. Welcome to The Journey Through Infinity. My name is Jennifer Smith. We are on the Jenny position, and it is time for another um, edition of this show in which we literally journey through infinity. Um, I'm here with my three handsome co-hosts. First up, um, you know him from Talking Pop and Talking WCW on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Podcast feed. Yes, all of those are words that go together. Tim Capel, how you doing, Tim? I'm doing great, Jenny. I hope people know me from those other shows because they're great, and you should check them out. And they're not great because of me, but because I have such wonderful partners along the way. So uh, already getting those plugs in, check out all the great content on the Jenny position and Place to Be Nation. They are great because of you also, and also well, because you. of alcohol. It's another reason why they're great. Uh, that gets us through the tough times and the tough podcast sometimes. Speaking of alcohol, um, you know him from the Place to Be podcast and main event, Scott Criscolo. How you doing? <laughs> uh, I am well, Jenny. Happy New Year again to you and Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, yeah, all those feeds are awesome. All those words were a sentence. Mm-hmm. Place to Be Nation Wrestling, Place to Be Nation Pop, Position, comma, Jenny. Everything's great. Let's dive in. Let's do it. To the alcohol. And, of course, um, your co-host on the Place to Be podcast and a myriad of other shows over on that wrestling feed, Justin Rosero. How are you? Why well, Tim hosts great till they got to be great. I know. Yeah. <laughs> also, I prefer Justin Hammer. Sorry. Not going to happen. Your hands are cleaner. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I have, a, I have that down in my notes. <laughs> Gross. We'll get there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, okay. our next movie on this journey is Iron Man 2. It is from 2010. Is that right, Tim? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, it was released on May 7th of 2010. It's still and... crazy to me how far 
back the shit was like I really like this so wasn't even like I think back to 2010 like Scott we hadn't even started the podcast yet like nope. mm-hmm. and, and I no. think back to it and I'm like none of this shit was even in my consciousness like I probably wasn't even aware that this thing came out or maybe I did but it wasn't really anything like that would even have I had no one in my universe that would have talked about this movie like it wasn't even in the realm of scope of something I would think about and now look at us look at us now yeah I was two months from starting a job at the company where I still now work and was unemployed at the time. Having said that, I uh, saw this as part of a double bill with Iron Man one. Once again, thinking back to those days when the MCU consisted of a grand total of three films mm-hmm. and it's like, wow, I'm going to get to see two of them in one night. <laughs> Look at this. What's, what's also crazy is that, and and they and they didn't do it since, but they actually skipped a year, which is on which is crazy. Mm-hmm. They did two in two thousand eight, and then they didn't do any in two thousand nine, which yeah. now they wouldn't even think about. So that's kind of yep. crazy. And then they went, you know, and then they obviously they've done everyone from two thousand ten to now, but because they had the they kind of got it down. I mean, they still I still kind of think Feige and those guys were kind of feeling their way around and wondering what the fuck was going on before they finally got like a plan down. Mm-hmm. Um, so. But it's crazy to think that they actually skipped a year, which is unfathomable now. And this you know? is, I guess, yeah, you just reminded me, too. This is the first film of the MCU post-purchase by post-purchase of Marvel Entertainment by Walt Disney Company. So Correct. that acquisition happened sometime, I think, in the fall of 2008. So we'd already gotten Iron Man. We'd already gotten Hulk. You had to figure those, I mean, it was probably going to happen anyway, but that was just kind of the cherry on top of, hey, this is an entertainment company that really knows what it's doing. Um, let's get in while the getting's good here because uh, they're probably going to go through the roof just in terms of their shareholder value uh, and their success with what the MCU uh, has got lined up. Because we already knew Iron Man 2 was coming. Uh, we... I believe knew that Thor and Cap were like in pre-production and all indications were that they were actually going to pull off an Avengers movie. Now it was one of those, like, I'll believe it when I see it, but uh, those signs were there even as early as 2010. It, It seemed like they had their act together. Like they could still have a bomb. Um, and we can, I don't think we'll be talking about that, with regard to our subject of this episode, but, um, you know, it looked like they, they had their shit together and, um, yeah, Disney came in, I think at just the right time for Disney to kind of, uh, get Marvel for a steal. I mean, look what they are now. Look what they've really done for the Disney corporation. They announced the deal, April uh, August 31st of 09 and then the uh, vote was approved on New Year's Eve of 09 for 4.24 billion dollars. Wow. So Disney bought Marvel and Lucasfilm for just under 8.5 billion dollars. Wow. Mm-hmm. Over the next over those 2 years. Not bad. They've already made it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In space. Certainly say so. I think <laughs> I think that Robert Downey Jr. has probably made $8 billion at this point. So, At least I hope so. I would build I those machines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. we talked about how he he went in really more for 
points on these films than he that he did mm-hmm. that upfront salary. So he was he was smart cookie there. Uh, interestingly enough, I noticed that Iron Man two. We should mention Iron Man one. I, I don't think we talked about this in the debut episode didn't really i mean it had a screenplay but kind of not really um it's come out in in the year since that that at least the dialogue was largely improvised by the actors and everybody seemed to be pretty okay with that like they they seemed to enjoy working that way and i mean they had a plot but it was sort of however you connect the dots and make what needs to happen here actually happen we're good with have fun with it and um we do actually have a proper script screenplay i imagine there's still quite a bit of improv going on but this screenplay is by justin thoreau oh boy yes prominent actor and jogger in sweatpants yes sir <laughs> we prime minister of uh, canada right <laughs> that's right that's what i thought yeah before he got that job <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, I think if you know the name, you mostly know him as an actor. Um, you may not know the name at all, but uh, he's also a screenwriter. So, hey, yeah, good on this. And politician, I guess, if uh, <laughs> if you don't know him as an actor. <laughs> My good friend, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> this was his second uh, screenplay. His first one? He must like uh, Bobby uh, Bobby D, because his first one was Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. I think Loki writes a lot of cool shit that you don't realize he writes. Loki's not in this one. <laughs> I knew that was coming. That was a softball and a tee. Was... Not for me, okay? This is all new to me. It's like Doink the Clown over here, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Speaking, of, <laughs> speaking of new to people, right? Uh, okay. Yeah, so this had of, a budget. Yeah, go ahead. Budget of 185 million. So not a whole lot for one of these. What you think of as these big tentpole blockbuster movies. This was kicking off the summer 2010 movie season. Really, it's that first May release. Uh, but these things are made upwards of 200 million at at the minimum. It seems like nowadays. So um, yeah, and it grossed 200. Looks like. Just shy of two six twenty five million, so it made its Oof. money back in spades. Wow! And this kind of in the early days of those, um, and that's worldwide, of course. But you know, you don't see a whole lot of those billion dollar pictures, and this certainly doesn't cross that threshold. But you know, just for the first sequel to this first Iron Man movie, that's not bad at all uh distributed by paramount pictures as the first few films in this series were this again you have to keep in mind prior to acquisition by disney mcu didn't have a whole lot of money did not have its own you know sort of in-house distribution and had to cut this deal um and they were still beholden to this six film distribution arrangement they had with paramount so that's why you see that paramount logo uh at the beginning of this i don't know if you still do i think they ended up uh buying back those distribution rights under disney but um i watch you mean you mean do they still have them in the movie is that what mm-hmm. you're asking yeah they do 
Okay. They do. So I was I've watched them all on Disney Plus, and these all these early ones all still have the Paramount in them. Gotcha. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Paramount okay. that year uh, had the tenth most, and Disney even without technically having all of Marvel at that point, still had the top two. Had both. You just mentioned a billion dollars, Tim. The mm. top two movies of 2010, both were Disney, and both were over a billion. Toy Story three. Mm. And Alice in Wonderland. God, it's hard to believe that Toy Story three was also that long ago. And that was the year that, and that was the year that Part one of Deathly Hallows came out, and that didn't make a billion. Jeez. All right, so bringing it back to Iron Man two, um, there were there was a couple of big um, casting choices here. One, I think, probably the most significant is replacing of Ter- Terrence Howard. Um, to Don Cheadle. Mm-hmm. Tim, what were your thoughts about this choice? Uh, kind of, I won't say indifferent to it, but it was sort of like, it put a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth just in the sense of, oh, is this what we're doing already? Like already we're sort mm-hmm. of treating actors as potentially disposable. We can just swap people out when they aren't working for one reason or another, and that's just how they're going to do this. But you have to also look at the character. Uh, While he was a pretty significant supporting player in that first Iron Man, uh, James Rhodes is not like a huge Marvel heavy hitter, even as he adopts his superhero identity. Um, Sidekick at best, really. Sidekick at best. Not as big as Jason Rhodes. Mm. And, oh, he's uh, rusty roads, even. Yeah. R- rusty. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never mind. <laughs> or, or, or my husband, uh, um, for yes. that matter, Coda Roth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, all right, so we recast. But you look at Terrence Howard, you look at Don Cheadle, feels like kind of an upgrade, though, <laughs> just like in terms is. of. Just in terms of their prestige that they bring to the role, um, I didn't really dislike Terrence Howard, although I, I do agree with Scott's sentiments at the end of uh, our Iron Man episode. I, I thought you put that very well. He just he, he didn't seem all that comfortable with uh, what he was being asked to do there. So not the biggest deal in the world. Um, I, I don't. I think once people saw what Don Cheadle brought to this role, it was sort of like, okay, we're good with this. Justin, what did you think about the change? I liked the original better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because I get used to him in the role. So when I saw the change, like the change, like to Tim, Tim's point, like, oh, here we go. Like we're already changing guys. Um, but I just, I don't know. I just liked the, the, it felt more natural. Like Cheadle almost... To me, I think having the prestige of him being in the role almost over ended up being overshadowing for a supporting player in this movie. Like I kind of liked Terrence Howard not having as big of a presence. Um, he actually seemed—I thought the chemistry with him seemed a little bit more natural. Uh, Cheeto almost felt like too big for that role. Hmm. I got used to him. Like he was fine by the end. I didn't care. Like, I wasn't that bad. But in the beginning, like my first note here is "New Roads." Meh. Like I, uh, I wasn't like a huge fan of like the switch, but they do do the little nod right during like the. Was it like the Senate the thing? Or what were they doing? And then he the walks courtroom. by him and he goes, yeah, what's he say? He says something to him like, you look different. I don't know what the fuck yeah. he said. They, basically, they make yeah. it not that he, he's not the same guy. What do you say, Scott? 
Uh, I um, I love the change, and I like it for the reason that Justin liked the opposite of the change. See, I thought, and I said it. I, I won't say what I, you know. I won't repeat what I said in the first Iron Man. Terrence Howard, I think, was too, you know. He he was too cerebral for that role. There was too much gravitas for a guy like him to be a sidekick. Don Cheadle's meant to be a good sidekick, and I love Don Cheadle. Loved him since Colors in the late '80s, and I loved him in Boogie Nights. It's more like Denzel's friend than Denzel, right? And you needed Denzel's friend in this, whereas Terrence Howard acts like Denzel, Not so New he Jack. didn't fit a sidekick role. New Jack is more of a Denzel's friend. Well, I mean, there's only one Nino Brown. No, one but but. No one else, Tim? Nothing? Nothing. Not be up that. Look, let's just not release this, this episode in proximity to Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It was a beyond the mat this joke. Comment. Fuck. You guys are all useless. Go doink yourself. Fucking doink thing. Um, anyway, um, I, I think that I just think that 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 uh, this was a better fit for this slot. And um, um I think it took. It obviously took getting used to at the time because obviously there was only one James Rhodes and it was Terrence Howard. But I think as we see, particularly through the crossovers, and we'll get more into those when we get to you know the first Avengers and the other ones that I think the fit in the end it was a better move for the chemistry of the cast. Well, speaking of um, side characters, let's talk about Scarlett Johansson, who um, is smoking mm-hmm. hot uh, in this in her. Introduction to Tony as an assistant to Pepper, and there's like really hot chemistry between the two of them. He's obviously definitely interested, and she plays it cool. But, um, man, she uh, she's she kind of like sneakily gets in this, and y- you, I, I don't. Not I, in particular, wasn't ready for what we eventually found out about her in this episode. So, um, what did you think about it, Justin? Yeah, I mean, I the I didn't know anything about the character or the usage of this. Like, mm-hmm. if this is how she was actually introduced at the time. But uh, to me, I thought the swerve was well done. I figured something was up because only because Scarlett Johansson is kind of a big name to just be a secretary. So I figured like it was going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize what the role eventually would be. I kind of thought maybe she was a heel working on a cover or something, but mm-hmm. um, no, obviously she ends up becoming a major part of this whole thing. So it's a, it's a pretty good intro uh, to get our first taste of her working undercover as a spy. Ooh, spies. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Scott? Yeah, I got to tell you that, you know, you said it a minute ago about chemistry. She almost her and, and Tony almost had better chemistry than than him and Pepper did. Yeah, they, um, like she had to like dial it back, I think, a little bit just to like um, kind of take that tension out. But he was definitely yeah. feeling it. Oh, he definitely was feeling it. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah, no, she was awesome. She's uh, she's silky smooth. Yeah. In that role. And and. She was very good at keeping it close to the vest. I mean, this is first, uh, probably her first role in this kind of thing, and uh, yeah, no, it was it was a good another good casting move and one that obviously would persevere. But um, yeah, I agree with you about the dialing it back. I think if she went, I think if they kept going at that pace, I think Pepper would have been the one that ended up becoming uh, Gwyneth would have been gone or something. I don't know, but it was just before or after he's just not that into you. <laughs> um, I want to say before. Let's see. That came out in nope February sixth, oh nine. Ah, okay. Mm. 
Yeah, she's she smoking hot now. Starting that too. big vehicle mm-hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, maybe some sort of um, Pepper and Scarlet and Tony three-way, perhaps. Mm. Mm. Late night. Sounds like an interesting sandwich. Um, a yeah, Tony sandwich. Um, <laughs> I, you know, actually, having said that, I, I didn't see a whole lot of sexual tension between her character and, and the character she's introduced to play is uh, Natalie Rushman, of course, from really? Legal. Uh, that's what they call her. Um, and, um, of course, we find out who she really is and this, that, and the other as the film goes on. Uh, but I got the sense more that she almost had like a – she played it with like a disdain towards Tony Stark. And then that shifted by the end to more of a grudging respect. And that, I feel like they really do maintain that thread mm-hmm. throughout a lot of these movies as as we're going to see. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but um, – you start to compare some of the relationships between these characters. And and I think that kind of describes them where she's sort of like, yeah, I have to work with you, but we're really just sort of, you know, colleagues. Um, Hmm. They're not going to hang out outside of the office. I I don't get that sense. He might like to, and he's going to put the moves on her. Sure. But she's just not going for it at all. And um, weirdly enough, this character was it seems like almost played by emily blunt i remember hearing she was sort of the front runner uh before they actually cast scarlett johansson and i wonder how different that might have played probably wouldn't that. have been much ever she probably would have been replaced after this one by the time oh. that character had the amp up <laughs> she didn't, didn't end up being scarlett johansson anyway <laughs> i like emily blunt but she doesn't have that sex appeal that scarlett does i agree uh, i agree right but, you know, you wonder if they would emphasize, I mean, they don't really play up the sex appeal of the character except for when the plot calls for it. It's just mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson naturally has that right. sex appeal. So, you know, you know, what do you really do with that? Fortunately, she um, is an incredible performer. Mm-hmm. So anyway, a good introduction for her. Um we do have some other new cast members as well, do we not, Jenny? Yes, one of my favorites. Um, he's he's uh, kind of low-key, not low-key, but low-key great in everything that he's in. Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a rival to Tony um, mm-hmm. in the in the business sense of like arms, you know, making weapons and shit like that. So, um, kind of a, a low rent Tony Stark, like he wishes he was Tony Stark and he's very, um, kiss ass to him when he gets the chance, but behind the scenes wants to really compete against him. Um, I love Sam Rockwell. I think he is hilarious and he does this Justin Hammer role just right because he's mm-hmm. he's a villain but he's not the top villain he's like yeah he's not fully guy. hateable he's just he's kind of um he's just like a wannabe right he's, he's like yeah. the trying to ha- trying to be the cool kid mm-hmm. trying to you know, use whatever resources he has and money he has to be recognized as a cool kid and mm-hmm. there's this embedded jealousy and trying to be Tony Stark um but he's like he's got this good mix of being 
uh, aloof. It's like an Andy Bernard kind of thing. <laughs> like, like he's kind of aloof and sees himself as way more important and better than he really is. Right. He's really just a goof. What do you think, Scott? Uh, I, I, I like Sam Rockwell a lot. And I, I, I do feel, though, that then this may be where I, I uh, you know, some of the cons of this movie for me are some of the things I, I, I that, that are down on it is um, he could have been a better villain. But uh, I think there was too much that had to be spread out for the bad guys. And he had more. How do I word it? He had more power over the villain that should have been the villain than than uh, than he was than he should have, and I think that um, it kind of took away from the priority of who we're supposed to hate by the climax. Um, but having said that, I mean, aside from the fact that his he's just dirty, um, and you know the whole ice cream eating scene while he's licking his fingers, ugh, he's fucking <laughs> fucking so gross, but. Um, I think that was a whole thing. Like he, like I think that's the symbolism of his low rent. Like Tony's very, Tony's very, you know. Even though he's, you know, he is who he is, but he always is impeccable. He doesn't like people touching him and all that kind of thing. He doesn't like people handing things to him. That whole mm-hmm. thing. Meanwhile, <laughs> Justin Hammer's sitting there like licking his fingers and he's and messy. with like, yeah, he's messy and he he's he's kind of uncouth, mm-hmm. and that kind of fit the character. And that's why I like Sam Rockwell because he's good in those roles. Um, having said that, though, I think that I think that his his um, presence kind of diluted the villain half of the movie for me. Hmm. But he's awesome, though. What do you think, Tim? I I love Sam Rockwell, I'll say. Uh, this character is a bit of a departure from the comics counterpart, although he does serve that same role of being this rival industrialist to Tony Stark. But personality-wise... Um, very different, but not in a way that I thought was a downgrade necessarily. Um, yeah, I agree with what everybody has said. It's everything that Justin Hammer does here. It's just performative. Like he's trying to measure up to Stark and he just can't ever come off as anything but a total poser here. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad Scott brought it up. Like, I don't know why it, it I mean, clearly it stuck out to both of us, so it had to be deliberate. But his hands are, like, caked in this, you know, self-tanner, I guess. They're just so orange, right? But with, like, and, with like old grease in his fingernails. And it's just yeah, fucking nasty. It, right, right. And it's just sort of this kind of subtle tell of just how fake he is. He's, you know, right. He's, yeah. uh, you know, you can tell he gets spray tans and all this stuff. And, I mean... Rockwell, just as a, a physical actor, does a lot to just mm-hmm. sell that awkwardness, too. So the whole package is, is right there. And you get what this guy is, like, from the, the instant he's on screen. And I don't know. He's he's one that you wonder how much more could they have really done with. But I, I kind of wouldn't mind seeing another appearance from him. Sorry, spoiler alert, Justin. We don't really see this character again. Yeah, that sad. is kind of sad. Yeah. Mm. Um. And then the main villain of this is um, played by Mickey Rourke, which I can say for some reason. Mm, and Rourke. Rourke. Mickey Rory. Rourke. Mickey Rory. <laughs> Mickey Rory Ark. <laughs> um, uh, interesting casting here. Uh, I can't say I'm a big fan of Mickey's, um, but yeah. he is playing Whiplash here, so... Um, who is a Russian guy and not a whole lot to do as far as acting. 
Like he can like grunt and like say things in heavily accented English and look intimidating. Um, so like really just a physical presence that he really does nail. Um, but as far as like, he's like the opposite of Sam Rockwell, who is, you know, very character based. And this is just like a, a guy like, I mean, he does what he does well, but it's not really an acting type of role for him. I feel like, I feel like Mickey Rourke is like whiplash, just like in real life, you know, well, without, without the gear. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Cause you, this is post comeback Mickey Rourke. So he had done the wrestler, which sort of was what put him back on the map. And that was a very actorly type of, mm-hmm role for him and you sort of think if they had done this one first people would go like oh yeah there's you know mickey rourke that's a very mickey rourke thing for him to do and then if he had done the rustler people would be like oh shit he's really back right and uh, as it stands this was sort of um the end of his comeback <laughs> we were, you know we were talking about it uh off show a little bit and he didn't do a whole lot high profile after this movie and you figure we're coming up on 10 years ago. Now this, this is in the rear view and uh, gosh, he's sort of due for another comeback at this point. Um, It's the character. No, there's, there's not a lot to it. It's pretty much there serves the purpose of giving uh, Iron Man something to punch, Mm -hmm. which you've got to have in one of these movies. Um, the backstory they give him is kind of unusual. Uh, again, departure from the comics in that this is a very minor character from the comics. Uh, Whiplash, sometimes known as Blacklash, um, has no personal connection to the Stark family, at, at least at the time of the release of this film. I don't know if they've gone back and retconned that or anything. So, not a heavy hitter uh, in the comics, but... He uh, gets a little bit of an upgrade here um, as the second proper supervillain that Iron Man faces. What do you think of Whiplash, Justin? Um, I liked the backstory. Like, at first I was a little confused, and then they kind of got into it. So I thought they gave a good rationale and reason for why he wanted to do what he was doing. Uh, I also like that, you know, he's kind of silently outsmarting everyone as he goes, right? Like, the mm-hmm. scene where really breaks out when they kind of lock him in the prison room. Mm-hmm. When Hammer locks him in there and goes to do his thing. And then he easily takes out the guards and then just goes and takes over all the suits. And just the way he kept manipulating everything. Because everyone just kept assuming, because he didn't really speak English, that he didn't know what was going on. And it was kind of dumb. Uh, so they keep underestimating him. Mm-hmm. I thought the attack at the in Monte Carlo with the race car stuff, like, that was really well done, too. Um, it was different. It was unique. And it was a good way to introduce him. The only thing I... I thought took away from it a little bit was again doing the fake iron man like we had already seen that in iron man one so mm-hmm. to me it took away from like oh here we go again with like another guy doing the suit going against iron man so i kind of wish we didn't get that already with obadiah and iron man one to me that that's the only thing that hurt it a little bit was it felt like a rehash and i know they just follow you know this is the comic and i'm sure that's a, a common trope against iron man is you want to put a, a guy in a suit because a normal guy can't really compete with the iron suit. Um, I guess maybe in Iron Man 3 you can a little bit, but if, it just feels like a lot. They put a lot into like, okay, here's another guy mimicking the suit. So to me, it felt like it was really soon after Iron Man 1 and we're already kind of repeating that. Maybe mm-hmm. this was later in the run. 
Um, it doesn't take much away from the movie for me, but it did hurt the villain part of it just a little bit because we've already kind of seen that. What do you think that's, about that? That's something I was going to ask you about, Justin, because I, I remembered what you said about that first Iron Man where it's like, oh, are they all going to be like this where the villain is just a bad guy version of the hero <laughs> pretty much, right. you know, right down right. to the, the visual. And yeah, I mean, they pretty much do the same thing here where it's a, a, another guy in armor. Um, not to the extent that Obadiah Stain, the Iron Monger became, but still same thing. And again, comics whiplash is, is not a dude in armor. So it's like they specifically do that. Oh, he's not. I assumed he was, and that's why they did it. So that's nope, not his gimmick in the, the comic. I mean, his gimmick is he has these, like, electrified whips, but he's really just kind of a, I don't want to say low-level henchman, but he's not, like, a heavy hitter at all. Um, he he, is he doesn't wear a suit? I he think, does not wear a suit, no. I think the arc reactor is more of what he copycats, um, mm-hmm. like him. And Justin is the one who comes up with the suits. You know, he's the right. one really They kind com- of melded too. Right, yeah. So they kind of have a common interest there. Um, what do you think, Scott? Um, I love Mickey Rourke, and I love this bad guy for exactly the reason that Jr. mentioned because he he was playing all of them. He had an end game, no pun intended, and uh, he played it, the the two villains worked exactly as their personalities would indicate. Is that Vanko is much smarter than Justin Hammer is, and it showed even though on the surface he kind of let Hammer, you know. Mm-hmm. play with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. But in the end, Vanko got the last laugh because he's the smarter guy. Um, and I didn't have a problem with the suits in the end because the way to outsmart Tony is to take his toys away and work them against him. Um, both, now, JR is right in the sense that there is both Obadiah and Vank- Vanko had an essence of revenge. They were both revenge. Obadiah because he was calling the shots, and then Tony. Yeah, I didn't mind the revenge part. It's just the way they went about it. True, but it, their essence the same thing though. It was both revenge, and they both went at it the same way. But Vanko's was more was more vengeance, I guess. Um, and whereas uh, with Obadiah it was more jealousy. But anyway, I, I thought the Monaco scene was fantastic. Uh, I love the whips, um, and. He was just calm and cool and collective. He was not um, overwhelming. And he reminds me a lot of a villain we'll see later in this on our journey uh, in terms of just he he legitimately he wasn't like a megalomaniac. He wasn't a psycho that, um, you know, wanted to take over the world. He was calm, collective. He had an objective. And um, in the end, he just there was just too many guys that took him out in the end. Um but I thought Mickey Work was great in this, and uh, yeah, I thought he was a tremendous villain that I thought could have been better without Justin Hammer, but the fact that he played him made him even better. So I, I think, I, maybe I'm overstating a little bit, but he's he's one of the top villains for me in this franchise, hmm. because he's so, he's so cool, you know? Um, kind of in the background is the story of Tony, his body is betraying him the palladium core in the art reactor um is slowly poisoning him so he's kind of silently dealing with that not really telling anybody as he measures his blood toxicity throughout the movie and he keeps getting worse and worse and looking like shit (laughs) um Mm. 
I really like that angle because he tries to be real stoic about it and to like figure it out himself as he's slowly dying and refusing to, to like, you know, break it to anybody. Um, but I, I don't know. He, he kind of goes a little bit off the deep end too, when it comes to that, because, mm. um, he's, he doesn't know how to fix it. And he ends up having this giant party at his house and getting drunk and wearing the suit, <laughs> which is a really, really fun scene. Um, what do you think about the party scene, Justin? Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. Him DJing. It's kind of what you expect. It's like a glimpse into what he was like probably before yeah, he became Iron Man exactly. Playboy. I really like that. Um, I did have one question because there's a scene in here, um, after when Nick Fury shows up and they're talking about S.H.I.E.L.D. And Tony seems very resistant to like being part of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that in this mm. one. But what's the timeline with Hulk? Because at the end of Hulk, Tony is like representing S.H.I.E.L.D. He goes to visit Hulk, you know, oh, uh, boy. <laughs> at Norton, oh, right? Boy. And he says, like, we want you to join the S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything. But in this one, he's like, don't want nothing to do with the S.H.I.E.L.D. And they kind of want nothing to do with him at the end. So is there an actual timeline or should I not even think about things like this? There, There is. Um, as a matter of fact, that is... A discrepancy that did not go unnoticed, actually, by, I guess, the producers um, of subsequent films. So, Iron Man 2 and Hulk are actually occurring pretty much simultaneously. Okay. Um, There is a scene at the end of Iron Man 2 where, in the background, you can see, like, news footage of the Hulk's rampage on the college campus. Like it's, okay. it's scenes lifted right from, um, the, that news report from Hulk. And as far as the, the little stinger at the end of Hulk with, uh, Tony Stark seemingly being all in on shield, the Avengers initiative talking to general Ross. Um, they do this thing. God, do we even want to get into this? Um, so they have these things called, um, I think they're called Marvel shorts that are attached to like the DVD releases of a lot okay. of these, mm-hmm. I think all these movies. And they're just little side stories, uh, where they, they do something fairly inconsequential. And one of them, they basically establish that, um, the way that that was presented was, was not what actually happened. Like shield was actually start to talk to, general ross because they knew he would really fuck it up because he was not in on shield and like they had orders that um the abomination the the guy who was played by uh tim roth like shield wanted to recruit him and colson totally didn't want him as part of the and fury didn't want him in the avengers so they're like send stark to talk to to ross and Ross totally won't go for it after that. It was just like this thing where they sent him to deliberately fuck this up because they, they knew that this thing was not going to happen with Stark. Um, and it was just kind of like, it was weird that they even bothered to address that at all. Cause you figure it's so early in this series, like who cares? It's just, right. it's one of those discrepancies. You can hand wave it away, but they do actually, um, I, it. I, don't know. I feel good of, about catching it. Anyway. Yeah, they, they kind of tried to, to rationalize it in a way that was just played for laughs, but sort of still worked at the same time. Um, but yeah, this this and Hulk basically happen simultaneously. 
Uh, and so that kind of explains also, like, why when Hulk and, and this giant monster are destroying Harlem, why is Iron Man not showing up, right? <laughs> so uh, he's kind of got his hands full with uh, with this stuff, Justin Hammer, and all of his weaponized drones and, and everything. As far as some of the action scenes, you guys have mentioned the Monaco sequence, which I think is freaking amazing. And Mm -hmm. probably still in, like, probably top ten MCU action sequences, um, which is saying something. And another fun one in this is when Rhodey and (laughs) Tony are both in the suits and they're fighting all throughout his house. This is the first time. Yeah. I guess not the first time. Is it the first? Yeah, I think this is Rhodey's first time in the suit. And mm, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He uh, I, my note says, "How is he already so good?" Because like you know, it took Tony like <laughs> a bunch of tries to like get it right, and then Rhodes. Yeah, but the original suit Tony had was not this intuitive. Now he's you know yeah. these are like new, 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 new versions that have been refined and you know designed to. I'm right. sure Jarvis was like training wheels, you know, yeah. probably doing some of them. It's like the Apple version, user friendly. <laughs> Jarvis is like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of kind of with you on this one, Rhodey. Um, I'll, I'll help you get you through this. <laughs> this guy's drunk and is going to destroy the <laughs> kill yeah. a bunch of people and destroy his house. So yeah. this is not good. It's um, a real fun time, though, watching them just go at each other. It is. And I can tell you the reaction well, the reaction to the fight, uh, I'm thinking back, because I saw this opening night, um, and it was like people were pretty into the fight, and it got the usual like cheers and laughs that you would expect from that kind of scene, but the way it started where he's he's in the suit, he's drunk, um, like he blows up a watermelon, um, he pisses in the suit, <laughs> <laughs> like people were kind of like unsure how to react like it almost honestly it was it was weird because it played like you know how people call out that scene in spider-man 3 where it's emo peter parker and he's dancing and it's very cringe right i mean people were acting like this was sort of the equivalent of that even at the time watching it i'm going "Ooh, did they really just fuck this up you know uh, because it was it was the kind of humor that you weren't used to in a quote unquote serious superhero movie, and when they did it, it was like, ah, here's the part where they they just you know they just really stepped in dog shit here, mm-hmm. and y- you wonder like can they can they reel it back? But as we would discover, this is pretty much like a hallmark of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just doing these types of things and being able to pull it off and getting away with it. And yeah, uh, you sort of expect it now, but at the time you're going, Oh crap, this is going to be one of those movies. Uh, so it's one that I like even, even watching back as sort of MMS watching between my fingers, you know, Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it gets going again with the fight. Like it, it starts off pretty funny, and then it gets more intense. Where you see, like, no, Tony, you've got a problem, and and you're more like seeing Rhodey's point of view, even though they're trying to essentially steal his technology and his property. And th- that's the thing about this movie that's a little bit 
tough. Like th- this movie has about seven different plots, uh. <laughs> and um, do you really need all of that in one film? Uh, I would definitely argue that something like the Tony is dying. His palladium core is burning out. Like you could save that for the next Iron Man, you know, I think they do a pretty remarkable job of weaving all these plots in and out of each other and pulling everything together. But it does feel very unfocused at times. And I don't know, I, I guess I'll save some of that for our deeper discussion, but I think part of why that I think part of why this this movie suffers in comparison to others is just because of that. It's it's trying to do too much and getting pulled in too many different directions. Hmm. Was this meant to be like? Did they think this was the end of the, like? Were they trying to cram it in because they thought this might be the last Iron Man, or did I they know they were going to get to a third so. one? I mean, they were planning on. I mean, they're planning on doing Avengers. So you figure he's got to be in Avengers. Um, I believe he'd already been signed to however many appearances. Like they were, they were locking these guys up contracts wise. So it wouldn't have been an issue with, Oh, we're afraid we're not going to have um, all of these actors available after this one. Like it wouldn't have been an issue. They were just empty in the chambers just because they thought this may be it at the time. Well, the old Shawn Michaels SummerSlam 02 (laughs) argument. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Emptied it all out. I think maybe if you look at it, maybe they just figured that Whiplash wasn't like a strong enough um, Mm -hmm. character to carry on his own, so they wanted to pair him with someone else, and then, you know, they just tell the story of Iron Man almost dying. Uh, And, of course, they had to to the transition of the company and all that was there. I have in my notes that there's a bomb or an explosion, but I can't find it in the write-up of what happened. I just have that pepper is stupid for standing there watching the bomb. <laughs> and I can't remember what scene it was. I had, that's all I have in my notes. Was there like an explosion or something that she watches? Uh, towards the end when the, all the drones are, are taking off and terrorizing everyone at the Stark Expo. Yeah. Doesn't one blow up near her. Yeah. She she's just like stands there and looks at it. Like it is, it, Struck me as stupid. I think it was one of the drones. I think it was one of the drones. She kind of has a panic attack at the end of it, which yeah, I thought does. was was very um, realistic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, it was one of the better scenes in the movie. Um, I kind of feel you on those um, too many things happening, but also they do a good job at doing all of those things. So it's not it's not as egregious as it could be. Um, and yeah, as I, it has been in other superhero movies, but I really I mean, love the Stark. Yeah, it points ex- to them that it, yeah. that it works as well as it does. I mean, it, in a worse film, they could throw all the shit out there, and you're just like, right. God, that was a mess. But yeah. they really do, like, kind of connect all those different dots in a way that you're sort of like, oh, I didn't think they could pull that off. Because they also have to build on this movie to other things, so mm-hmm. they do a good job on that mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, I want to say quick. Um, I want to say quick to, to counter Tim's point about they could have held off the sickness thing for the next movie. I I don't know if they could have done that because think about it realistically. Palladium's not exactly you know a, the a, the the flu. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I think realistically, palladium should take should kill you quickly. 
I don't even know if realistically that should have la- would have lasted another movie without it not making sense. I think that I think that the realism of the fact that he's he has a foreign agent coursing through his body, which is um, saving his life and killing him at the same time. I don't think realistically would have lasted to another movie or another, you know, three movies, particularly since the next one comes after the the first. Well, Tony so, is a genius inventor, so you know you could explain that away with like I came up with this to combat it or whatever. You know. Well, it's kind of silly uh, that he didn't. Um, yeah. Before it, you know, like why did it take this long for him to figure it out? Well, be, well, I think a lot of it was because she'd be prioritizing it. Um, because it's not easy to invent something that. <laughs> invent something out of air that can't kill you but I mean, he just built an army of robotic suits that work via ai technology and he can fly well yeah he's also not seconds. a doctor though i mean you're, oh, now you're I, talking I, about personal physiology i like how you're just honestly, blowing that off like you know yeah he can look just, at the shit he's invented he builds he robots but he can't figure out how to fix his blood it's two different things not the way he's presented as like some kind of super genius i mean he built this robot in a cave with like three things so. <laughs> That's also not figuring out your blood. He's not a doctor doctor. He you're, figured out how the you're, you're, you're not taking this seriously enough. You're blowing it off too easily. No way. He's trying to figure out that, that a component of the periodic table that won't kill you yet can keep him alive at the same time. It's not his – it's not his – see, the struggle I think is awesome because it's not easy, yet he couldn't ask for help because then he would have tipped his hand that, yes, I'm dying and doesn't want anyone to know that he's dying. So he's trying to figure out something he's not – comfortable doing he's not a doctor doctor he's a techie this this is something that actually i think the again not to get ahead but the third movie actually does kind of an interesting job just in terms of the character study and addressing sort of why tony stark did not um seek medical attention sooner for what is essentially a gigantic hole in the middle of his chest that he's got a battery plugged into. (laughs) Um, Whether that's sustainable or not, there's like a, there's a psychological um, side to that, that, that the movie sort of explores a little bit. Um, Again, not, not to get into Iron Man three, but um, yeah, I can see why, just the personality type that he is, it it wouldn't like even be a priority to address um, his health. Like there's this major issue that uh, this is going to kill you. And yet he's, he's not even going to just see a doctor about it. Like, Hey, um, so I've got some shrapnel um, (laughs) bouncing around near my heart that should probably be removed. (laughs) Like it, it doesn't come up for um, quite a few movies here. And, in sort of a believable way, once once you get to know him. Uh, that said, I I just I think there's too many things going on in in one movie here. Uh, and and to your point, Jenny, there is a lot of setup, especially at the end, where you start to feel like, oh, this is not just needing to function as its own movie or needing to function just as an Iron Man sequel. This has to be. Uh, laying the groundwork for the next thing, which is going right. to be, you know, an ensemble right. film, essentially. And I, I really, with that climax, where you see you're kind of cutting between 
uh, Iron Man and War Machine battling the drones and and battling uh, Whiplash, and you've got um, Natasha Romanoff as she is revealed and uh, Happy. So big hero moment, big hero turn here for Happy Hogan uh, trying to track down Justin Hammer. It's kind of cutting between the two of them, and and you get the sense of well, here's how maybe a, a superhero ensemble film set in this universe how it might work. This is sort of a proto version of this. Here's what it might look like. And uh, I was sort of kind of getting into it. I I like that happy manages to take out that one guard and it's um, (laughs) just such a a celebratory moment for him. Meanwhile, just, just, you see the floor just littered with bodies as as, uh, (laughs) Natasha has just sort of plowed through all of them. Um, Very good stuff there. What do you guys think about the Stark Expo? That has always been one of my favorite like parts of this. Like it reminds me I don't, I don't know what it reminds me of, but it's it's something that I wish happened in real life. Like Yeah, oh for sure. You yeah, know? It's, really mm-hmm. cool. it's like it's pretty awesome. It's so nerdy and like techy and cool. Um It's supposed to be like a modern version of like a world's fair. World yeah, fair. that's exactly what yeah. it is. Yeah. Which I think yep. is combined amazing. with like a Whatever, like the, you know, tech. Well, yeah, and the tech <laughs> stuff they have, like in Vegas, like all the G three or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. Coachella. Another one of my favorite Coachella. scenes. <laughs> Coachella. Another Coachella. one of my favorite Guzzling scenes is when the, the um, military roadie brings in Justin Hammer to outfit um, the suit with weapons, and mm. Justin brings all of his weapons, and they do this whole little scene with him explaining all of his guns and shit mm-hmm. yep. i love it it's it's beautiful i think it's justin hammer like at his best like he's in sales mode and he's got all this badass weaponry and he's just loving it and roadie yep. is unimpressed until the end um mm-hmm. a really great scene between them i agree well there's a good payoff to that scene too yeah. with, what's it called the the ex-wife the ex-wife <laughs> yes the ex-wife the Tylenol. And that's a very John Favreau thing to mm-hmm. set something up like that and then pay it off in a way that that really just either cracks you up or or uh makes you applaud. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. I, I was thinking the same thing watching uh I just finished watching the last couple episodes of The Mandalorian mm-hmm. and going, Oh wow, I mean this is a this works so well and it's it's so like John Favreau. Favreau. I, I yeah. Yep. Think he's kind of brilliant in a way, he is. and just sort of mm-hmm. snuck up on all of us. I agree. Absolutely. Ah, uh, okay. What else in this movie? Um, so in the end, they show the hammer, right, to tease Thor. I had that. So Tim, you mentioned that Thor was already announced. So like you guys knew this was coming. Yes, we knew. Oh, yeah. Thor was was happening a uh, year after this. Yep. Do you feel that this tag scene is a little forced? Like I feel like the other ones have kind of played into the story a tad. And some of the ones that are going forward, this one had like nothing to do with the movie. It was just like they call, mm-hmm. he's out of the desert. Oh, I got to go somewhere. Oh, look, we found this hammer. <laughs> like, I get it. I mean, I know what they're doing, but it just seems a little funny that it, it didn't seem as much in the flow with the movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say this is where this is the point where the, the end credit scene just becomes something for people who are in the know. Like, yeah. if you don't have any idea yep. that there's a Thor movie coming, you, this would totally be lost on 
yep. on US just or get you excited if you didn't know and you knew about the or yeah you, you just know there's going to be another some kind of other movie um but you're not going to know what it is or think it has some kind of relation to Iron Man necessarily um but yeah that that's i mean that's going to be a story of these end credit scenes. It's not necessarily going to be anything having to do with what you just watched. Where does um, the TV show shield fit in this? Because Coulson is in this movie um, and then he's in that post credit scene. So will shield the show already a thing shield or- the show started like, uh, 2013, so like a year after the first Avengers. Avengers. Okay. It started, uh, yeah, September 13th. So, and yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, Coulson, so all this had happened before mm-hmm. that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. And I mean, this was, uh, had we seen much of Coulson in this movie before that? End credit scene. I'm trying to re- remember. Yeah, he was in Tony's house, and like um, they kind of the had first him all- one, right? Um, yeah, I mean, doesn't I he, doesn't he save her in the first? Oh, one? Oh yeah, yeah, in the yeah. first one. Yeah, I'm just I'm thinking about in Iron Man two had oh, we seen oh. a lot of Coulson up to that point. Um, I mean, certainly Nick Fury has his kind of glorified cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, I, I do kind of like that, just in terms of reminding you, oh, hey, yeah, Phil Coulson, we like him. He's still out there. Right, yeah. Uh, and he's going to be presumably playing a part in whatever this this next movie they're setting up is. Uh, any other points about Iron Man 2 before we wrap it up? I do so, have... Uh, yeah, oh, go ahead, Tim. Okay. Uh, um as much as I've complained about there being too many plots in this movie, <laughs> uh, I do think it's very strange that you've got, this is your introduction to the character who's going to become Scarlet Witch. Uh, Scarlet. I always do that. Black Widow. Uh, I always fucking do crossing that. Crossing them up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Natasha, we'll just say, um, we don't really find out <laughs> in this movie, but she is Russian and will be played as Russian mm-hmm. in subsequent films. Ivan Vanko is Russian. And yet there's no effort at all to connect these two characters. And it's sort of like, wouldn't that have smoothed over her entrance in this, just her appearance in this movie a little bit. If they had mm-hmm. said, you know, she had Intel on him from back in Ru- some bullshit, you know, who cares? Mm-hmm. But for them to just kind of incidentally be Russian and she doesn't really have a point for being here other than she's going to be in the Avengers. So we have to introduce her. Just, I don't know. It feels like a missed opportunity. Not I don't know, to... Tim, that would have been like the 11th plot in the movie and you would have just kept whining about it. Like you did. <laughs> why? Cause this, Russia's pretty big, Tim. This is both say, Russian. She has yeah. to tell Russian. What if he's, what if she's from Kiev and he's Siberian, you know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, it, it wouldn't have been another plot onto itself. It would have been just another way to connect <sighs> to yeah. disconnect. Plot mm. happy. Um, I will say. I, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Jenny. Go ahead. Uh, there's not enough Tony and Pepper in this for me. Like, she seems pissed at him most of the time, which I mean, he kind of is a dick some most of the movie, but. Um, 
much less of the romance factor um, compared to the first one. Not enough. Too many plots. There's no time. Yeah. Right, right, Tim? (laughs) No time for romance. Um, Yeah, actually, it would have been good to have more of that. There weren't so many fucking plots in this movie. (laughs) But we need to have more Russians. (laughs) We could get more of a because they they do have the uh, I like the scene between them in the office where you get like some of the banter. Yeah. And th- isn't that where he like dumps the tire off in the trash? Yes, he brings He brings yeah, he brings her strawberries. The only thing she's allergic to. There you go. There you go. That's what he dumps in the trash. I <laughs> with strawberries. Um, I liked her character in this movie a lot. She definitely. Yeah. I, I'm going to say this, Jenny. I agree with you. However, that gave her a chance, I think, to shine as a player in this movie instead of just eye candy. Um, so the fact that she didn't have time, we didn't have time for their byplay because she needed to be calling the shots while he's a fucking shit show in the basement. Mm. I thought it was really good for her and for Gwyneth Paltrow. I think it really made her stronger. Uh, one of the better actresses. I thought she really did a great job having to carry this company while he's a fucking mess down in the basement trying to figure out not to die and without telling anybody that he's trying to not die. Right. So I do agree with you that I would have liked a little more byplay. However, there was a positive that came out of that, I think, that she kind of stood on her own. Yeah, and uh, the fact that she um, doesn't seem at all intimidated by the sex pot that is Scarlett Johansson mm, um, mm-hmm. is pretty uh, significant because she just stays classy. Like she just go- she yep. just like goes above it. Like you know, obviously this chick is like smoking hot, but like it's fine. You know, she's not at all worried about the competition, which I think is interesting. Meanwhile, it didn't work in reverse in Iron Man 3, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, oh, uh, yeah. You know, so yep, I'm, yep, so we'll get into that. In the, we'll get into that when we get to that one. But, uh, yeah, no, good point. I agree. And I, and I thought they definitely amped up the uh, – and I know, Tim, you criticized in Incredible Hulk the whole scene in the park and all that, which I thought was pretty awesome. However, I will say that the battle at the end of this one – this climax was better than the climax. The first one, even though I love uh, that battle between um, Tony and Obadiah, but this one I thought was, was great. I think it got nominated for an Oscar for best visual effects and it deserved the, I don't think it won, but it definitely deserved the nomination. I thought this was visually better. I feel like Feige and all the Marvel people, you know, got rejuvenated by the buy by Disney. So I think as a, as a company, they kind of felt a little, a little emboldened. So, I felt like this movie was juicier in the action department that we didn't mm. totally get in the first one because I think they weren't sure what the fuck they were doing yet. Um, so I was excited. I, I enjoyed that. I thought the climax scene with all the drones was really great and mm-hmm. um, flying around like this futuristic world, which is what, which is why I agree with you, Jenny, about the, the expo. It just seemed like this other world, mm-hmm. which we would get to in the next movie about being from other worlds. Um, but uh yeah, I, I thought this was a great upgrade uh, uh, from the first one, at least visually. And uh, it all holds up a lot. Like, all the yeah. visual effects hold up still, yep. even knowing what I know um, in the future. But um, Anything else? Yeah, Fire speaking points? of Pepper and background stories, I have a thought, a theory on who Pepper Potts really is. 
Jesus. Oh, the film, okay. the critically acclaimed film, Pro Ball Cheerleaders, <laughs> <laughs> the star quarterback. Great visual effects in that one, too. <laughs> yes. The star Enjoy quarterback this. is named Clay Potts. <laughs> and the head cheerleader, or uh, she's not the head cheerleader, one of the cheerleaders, the one he ends up with is named Pepper. Holy <laughs> shit. Now, they don't marry in the movie, but they seem to be headed that way. <laughs> so my fan theory is that Pepper Potts is the same Pepper Potts <laughs> from Pro Ball Cheerleaders. And I mean, she would have had divorce. time to get married and divorce. Between... Yeah, divorce Clay. Well, that's like in the late 70s. Yeah. Divorce Clay. She was young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then gets the job at Stark Industries. Third you could also say maybe she's Clay and Pepper's daughter, daughter. and just gave her the same yeah. name. Yeah. Also. Oh, oh wow. Because you figure Tony would have said something. I mean, it's Tony for Christ's sakes. I'm sure he, he would have known that. She might be hiding the identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's Tony. I'm sure Tony probably saw Pro Bowl. <laughs> I'm sure maybe Tony knew something about it. Who yeah, knows? it's got to be their daughter because she, yeah, she would have been too young in the yeah. 70s. Well, he wouldn't have seen the movie because if, if this is a shared universe, then it's that's not actually a movie. It's, it's just, a movie, exactly. That's true. <laughs> yes. That's true. Maybe he went to the same high school. That's my final <laughs> documentary. <laughs> that's my final thought of the night. I'm, I'm on board with this fan theory. Uh, can, I am. Right. Head cannon accepted. Yeah. And it should win an Oscar for wide lenses, definitely. So we should have watched that before Iron Man 1, in theory. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a good I guess companion. it depends if you're doing the chrono watch, right? So it, that would come after Captain America. But we before. were talking about Ang Lee's Hulk being the first movie in the MCU. So right. is this the first movie? In the, maybe maybe uh, Carl – was it Carl Potts? Is that what you said his name was? Clay. Clay Potts. Clay Potts. Clay Carl, whatever. Maybe he was like Howard Stark's intern. I don't know. You know <laughs> I don't know. You know, who knows? If you want to see the origins of Pepper Potts, I suggest you watch Pro Bowl so, I, I think you should just watch it anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, weird. it should be subtitled Iron Man 1.5. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man, one and a half inches. <laughs> hey, Clay Potts had way more than one and a half inches. <laughs> Why? Well, he made Pepper. It was the 70s. Who could tell? Yeah. I could tell. Her camera work. All right, take it home. What a great movie. Anyway, um, I know we have some awards here at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim, do you remember what those are? <laughs> what the awards are? I think it's uh, <laughs> the awards favorite are, uh, character, and not the hero. Yep. Uh, yeah, favorite favorite uh, character other than the the lead. I'm going Justin Hammer on that one. Yeah, me too. Vanko. Um, uh, I'll go hammer. Least favorite? <coughs> New roads. Oof. Not for me. Um, that annoying, um, like reporter chick who shows up at Monaco, um, that he fucked in the first Ooh. one. Yeah, yeah she yeah, sucks. That's yeah, she's annoying. Oh, yeah, here. Nobody likes her. That's a reach, but there's not a lot to hate in this a movie. So, um, best moment? Mm. Uh, Probably the Monaco. Monaco, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Monaco's pretty awesome. You know, I'll give it to the the climax, Scott, that you had mentioned with with uh, just <laughs> you're laughing because I clay, said clay, clay and peppers, <laughs> clay and peppers climax. <laughs> 
You know, you, you set us up and how do we there are a ton of softballs being hit out tonight, I'll tell you. Uh, but no, where they're they're taking out all the drones. Like that was a real like fist pump moment in the theater. I just if anything, it's it's almost um abbreviated compared to something like Hulk, which seems to sort of go on and on. Um but but that like where Tony does the arcing laser thing, I don't know what it's called, and, and looks takes out all of them. That reaction in the theater, just people stomping their feet, it, it was like nothing I'd ever really even witnessed up to that point. That's mm-hmm. where you kind of knew they had, had something special with this series. Uh, so, yeah, I will say that. Moment. And I think that, as an action scene, still stands up to to this day. As early on as it happened in the MCU, I, I would put it up against some of the some of the best stuff they've done. Um, kind of a shout-out, too, to um, when Tony makes this whatever the fuck he's making uh the new element to rid him of his polonium palladium uh infection or whatever um he builds like a whole fucking like lab in his in his house like Mm. and creates a new thing and like it's just full-on tony inventor montage and Mm. that is one of my favorite things in the mcu um he nobody does it like him but uh, what was the last one? Overall, oh, the grade. Yeah, the grade. Yeah. Mm. See, this one's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. <laughs> I mean, I liked it, so I liked it better than Iron Man one, which I gave an eight. Uh, so I went eight and a half. Mm. I I'm thought a- it was just as good, equally. Um, there were things in the first one that were better than the second things in the second that were better than the first. So I gave it both. I gave that an eight as well. So I'm giving this one an eight too. I'm going to go to 7.5. Um, just a little bit down, but not, not a big deal. Still awesome. Justin, what'd you, what did you give it? Eight and a half. I gave it eight to Iron Man one. So. I, I thought it was better than Iron Man. So you liked it better? Okay. Yes. Hmm. 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 Jenny, you're an all. You're a seven and a half. Um, I'm going to go seven. Uh, I kind of talked myself up a little bit just because anything below seven sounds too low, even though it's not really. But um, I like I said, I do think this has some uh, some problems just in terms of there's way too much going on but at the same time they do make it work i just wish some things had more breathing room so it's it feels like one of those things they will figure out as as they go along this is sort of one of those growing pains i mean i graded this a while ago so it might have been high before i've seen a lot of the other stuff but Mm -hmm. i'll stick with it for now okay yeah that's fair because i am grading that knowing what comes next so it's kind of Right. For me, it was right. Yeah, we all. Seen. That's why I was coming off a whole. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um. All right. So we've done some good work here, and um, uh, combining universes of pro ball cheerleaders and the MCU. Um, that will be one of my most most proud podcasting moments. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Anything that you want to plug, Justin? Just everything on the PlayStation Wrestling feed. It's all good. 
It's all good. All right. Listen to it all. You, Tim? Uh, I'm looking forward to everything also. <laughs> Scott? Uh, I agree with my PIC. Everything on the wrestling feed is amazing. Every single solitary second. Listen to all of it. Oh, my God. Also, on the Jimmy position. Of course. Um, and you can find me at Jimmy Position on Twitter and on the Facebook page. So, thank you for listening. Good night.